This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Welcome back to Brojo Online. I've got a very special one for you today, the first ever interview in the Brojo Online podcast series. Today I'm going to be talking to my good friend Mike Macapinlack. He's the Program Director of Social Confidence Mastery, and he helps shy guys succeed socially so they can create the lifestyle they deserve. Now he is an absolute role model of authenticity. We've been both working on our paths together, and what you're going to be hearing today is the true backstory to how a guy like him, a confident entrepreneur who's a master of the social world, came to be from a background of shyness, insecurity, and self-worth issues. He's going to tell you everything. He's going to tell you the true story so that you can see you are just like him and how you can learn from his journey, his mistakes, and his triumphs. So get ready for a real story, and uh, let's let's give a big welcome to Mike. Well, welcome anyway, bro. Welcome to Brojo Online. And... You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that we're starting with you, uh, because I think you and I, we've known each other about 18 months now, right? And we've both changed in the time that we've known each other as well, and we've seen that transition, especially because we've both got that like similar history in the social, you know, development um, concept. So it's been awesome to watch you to move as well as I've been moving, you know. And so I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, and I'm really keen to hear about your backstory. We've all got different backstories that led us down this particular path. Um, so I was thinking we'll just dive straight into it. And if you're cool with it, I'd like to start at the start. I'd like to hear a little bit about what it was like to be Mike as a kid, man. Like, what was childhood like for you? Sure. Well, first of all, Dan, like, I'm honored that uh, you, you picked me to be your first guest on the show. And that means the world, man. You know, I, uh, I popped the cherry on the... <laughs> The Brojo Online uh, show, so I'm really honored to be here. So yeah, to to share, you know, to to share with you my story, you know, I um, I, I uh, looking back now, like one of the biggest things that uh, I've really noticed was, you know, like I I didn't grow up with a a steady father figure, right? You know, I grew up in poverty. I I grew up in a small farm back in the Philippines, and uh, you know, like my dad had to work abroad, you know, so I'd see him, you know, like one month out of the year. And uh, growing up, he became this figure, you know, who who came with toys and Legos and shoes. So I thought that, you know, like being a father meant like, you know, being a good provider, right? And then eventually he uh, immigrated the family from the Philippines to the Middle East. You know, I lived in Saudi for about six years. And that's when I really started living with him. And and I discovered that I had uh, I had issues with authority. You know, he'd say things and, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if this is typical for other cultures, but in my culture, you know, the Asian culture, you know, like, uh, uh, uh what, what older people have to say is really, uh, it's, it's really held up with high regards. Like when, when someone tells you do something, you don't question it. So, so when I say that I've got problems with authority, he'd tell me one thing and I'd ask why, right? And as a kid, I knew that if you don't explain to me something, if it doesn't make sense to me, I can't do it. So, you know, like we had a lot of issues with that. 
So, you know, and, and not only that, like the only types of conversation we had was about school, was about academics, you know, like we never talked about girls, we never talked about feelings, you know, like I never saw what it was like to open up or to be vulnerable. So I really struggled, looking back now, like I really struggled to connect with people on a deeper level because I didn't, I just, I, I just didn't know how, not because I didn't want to, it was just a lack of awareness and lack of experience. And, and uh, when I really noticed that was when I started dating, I started, um, you know, like meeting women, right? Number one, I was terrible at it because <laughs> my parents told me that if I just went to school, I got good grades, I got a good job, everything else will be taken care of, right? Well, that advice worked in the industrial age, right? Where they were from. It made sense, you know? And again, like, uh, uh, my parents had very good intention giving me that advice, um, but it didn't work for me because obviously, like, uh, like I lived in a different time, right? And that advice doesn't, doesn't work as well. So, you know, what school got, uh, what school for engineering, got a high paying engineering job. I was making like really good money. I bought a house when I was 21, bought nice cars, bought a lot of nice things. And I was like, where are the girls? Right? I was still socially awkward. So that kind of like started my journey. Um, you know, like I started to, I, I was just in pain, man. I, I didn't want to be that guy who would stay at home on a, on Friday, Saturday night. You know, I didn't want to be that guy who would, go out and have have his drink pressed against his chest. Like, I wanted to be part of the fun. So, you know, I started going online looking for advice, and I found the seduction community. I'm like, wow, like, I can't believe there's a whole science, right? There's a whole community of men who have devoted, you know, like, their lives and, and are actively learning about this. And so I'm like, so I bought the book, you know, I bought the program. I found all the layers, right? Uh, found one in my city. And it just... Immediately, I'm like, there's something off. There's something wrong. Like, I don't jive with these people. They're weird. They're creepy. But I'm like, not knowing any better, I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is how it's supposed to feel. Back then, I didn't realize how important trusting your gut instinct was. So not knowing any better, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of went along with it. I, I did all the lines, the routines. And uh, the, the crazy thing was it kind of worked. You know, like I had a few successes, not a lot, you know, I had a few successes. And looking back now, I realized that it worked, it, uh, it only worked on low self-esteem girls, right? Because think about it, right? Like which, which girl in their right mind would respond to a nag, right? Or any of that crap when you're being inauthentic. So what I didn't realize was, yeah, I was getting success. I was getting girls. But then the next issue was I couldn't keep girls, Right, I couldn't keep girls, and I couldn't keep friends. I couldn't keep friends, and that became another issue. So I'm like, "What is going on here?" Right. So, and then I realized that every, you know, it was all a show. It was always the Mike McApinlack show. Whenever I'm out, right, I was hiding behind my expensive clothes. I went into debt buying expensive clothes. I went into debt trying to look high value. I went into debt trying to look high status, right? I couldn't afford the bottle service that I was buying back then. I couldn't afford the Gucci belt, the Prada bag. I couldn't afford any of those things. But I thought that that's what's going to, you know, attract people to me. And then when I realized that I was only popular on Friday and Saturday and the rest of the week I was nobody and I couldn't even stand the thought of being myself, being with myself, is when I start, I decided to take a break from everything. And that's when I started exploring the spiritual side of my journey. You know, like I started going into these 
spiritual retreats where, you know, like you have that silent meditation, that eye gazing exercise, right? You know, like walking in nature, opening up, being vulnerable. I, I remember this one retreat, they asked me to, I remember, I remember this one ret- retreat, they asked me to share my deepest, darkest secrets in front of a hundred people. Cause they're like, they're, they're like, you're only as real as your deepest, darkest secrets. I was like, oh my God. And I paid a lot for this retreat, right? So I was standing there, knee shaking, about to share my deepest, darkest secrets in front of a hundred people. And that's when like, I started to really fall in love with myself. And that's when I really started to look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I like you. I like, I like the fact that you're me and I'm you. You know, I started to really enjoy my own company. I didn't need to be around people anymore. I still love people, but I didn't feel the need to be around people. And ironically, is when I started really honoring myself, loving myself, is when I quit my job because it was it was making me unhappy. I started eating better because I love myself. I started going to the gym, taking care of my body. And when, and when I showed up full and complete is when I started attracting higher quality people. Now talking to people seems so easy. Now now people wanted to hear what I had to say. Now, you know, um, it was easy for me to attract friends and keep friends and attract women and, and keep women into my life, right? And that's when I started having healthier relationships with people um, was because I started having a healthier relationship with me. So... Yeah, you know, that, I didn't mean to drag it on, but that's kind of like my story, you know, because you asked uh, where things got started, and uh, yeah, that, that was kind of it. I love I love hearing the story of a guy who's fully explored where everything's come from and where it's gotten him to, because you can so concisely just lay out that timeline, you know, I went from here to there, and... You know, you, you talk, there's so many things I want to dive deeper into with that, I've been making little notes here, um... So it's interesting, you know, I, I find guys like us, you know, the the guys who tried to find a manufactured way to, to connect socially. Um, we start with that kind of disconnect early on, don't we, with that idea that um, no one taught us how. We were just expected to know, and the role modeling we got was, you know, less than than helpful there. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's interesting, and then I like the... What really stood out to me, one of the points, was this gut instinct thing. Because later on, you know, you're talking about the same thing I'd call valued living. You know, living in a way that that nurtures you and honors you. I love the way you said that, the honoring yourself. And, you know, that, that kind of voice is, you can see signs that it's been there throughout the whole journey trying to speak to you. You know, when you went to the, the pick-up layers or whatever and you get to meet some of the you know, some of the most damaged people in, in the world, really. Um, your gut sort of saying, now this ain't it, you know. Keep looking, but this ain't it. So a lot of stuff that I resonated with there, and I want to go deeper on some of those things if you're okay with it. Because what I want is for people listening to this just to understand that, you know, despite how sort of confident and relaxed and sorted you are now, um, there was pain before that. A pain that they'll understand, a pain that they're probably going through right now as they listen, you know. Um, tell me a, a bit more detail, especially what I want to hear about is the teenage years, you know. I'd love to go into those a bit more before um, before you left and kind of made your money and started looking to to buy the love, you know, as we all did. Um, what was What was being a teenager like for you socially? 
So I, I grew up in a culture. So uh, I grew up in a culture that was a. Uh, we had a lot of superstitions, right? I grew up oh, in a very okay. superstitious culture. So back in Asia, if you were like light skinned, you had straight hair, you were like attractive, right? And growing up, I was always compared to, you know, like uh, I, I should say that my brother and I have a really good relationship now. You know, I love my brother. He loves me. I respect him. He respects me. Um, but growing up, we didn't have a good relationship. Because I was always compared to my younger brother, right? Because my my brother was was better looking. He had you know straight hair, which was like a big deal back home. Like if you see my hair, like my hair is mm. really curly, mm. and uh, I just wasn't considered to be attractive. You know, my brother was popular, I wasn't. So growing up, I was always compared. I was always I I always felt less than, right? So I'd I'd always get into trouble. Uh, purposely, because I wanted to be noticed. That was like, my, looking back now, that was like my way of getting attention, because I wasn't, like any attention was good, even if it's like yelling or negative attention, at least I was getting attention, right? So when you're young, I think when you're a teenager, like a big thing, a big milestone for any teenager is to have a girlfriend. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Right? So back in high school, like everyone's coupling up, everyone's got their girlfriend, and I was so desperate to be loved, man. I was so desperate to be seen. I was so desperate to be accepted that uh, I, I remember this, you know, and today, like, this is still, like, one of the things that, you know, like, I kind of think about. My, my best friend and I like the same girl, okay? And, and when you're young, like, you honor dibs, you know, especially mm -hmm. with your guy friends. So my best friend had liked this girl, and I liked her, too. But what I, what I did was I went around, I went behind his back, right? So after they would talk on the phone, like I would talk to her, and eventually, like she started liking me. So I started, you know, I actually sacrificed my entire friendship, my entire high school, just to be with this girl, right? So I also mistake number one. Looking back now, I made the mistake of putting my entire happiness and well-being on one person, right? So finally, when, when the house of cards came crashing down, as it eventually did, because it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to be someone's son. It's a lot of pressure to be the center of universe for someone, right? So she felt that eventually, and, you know, she, she dumped me. She broke up with me over the phone, and, man, like, it, you know, for anyone listening to this, you can probably remember your first breakup, right? You know, Dan, you can probably remember your first breakup. It's yeah. probably one of the, the, one of the most painful experiences you can never go through. So that's when, you know, like the, the, the soft, loving, kind me, you know, developed a bit of a hard shell, right? And, you know, I, I never wanted to feel this way again. So, so looking back now, you know, again, I, I keep saying that phrase because it's, I've taken a lot of time to reflect on this. Um, when people make decisions, it's based on two things, right? You're either, you're either running away from something or you're moving towards something that you want, right? Running away and moving towards something are, are two different things, right? You're, you're either making a decision from a place of fear or a place of love. And back then, in my earlier years, I made a lot of decision from a place of love, right? And that's when I really identified with, you know, like the whole like uh, alpha male, like, you know, uh, uh, high status, high value, you know, um, message because I was never that guy, right? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that's when I started to develop a, a hard exterior shell to protect my heart because I didn't want to be hurt again. Uh, that's uh, that's so funny. You bring up that example. Like uh, on on Saturday, I just had that seminar. Like I was saying, talk about my own life story, 
and and a memory came to me where it wasn't a breakup but it was a rejection it was my first big rejection where i swung for the fence you know asking a girl out the girl of my dreams and not only did she reject me but she rejected me badly like really harsh really mean really nasty something later on i found out i misunderstood but it's funny that because right now i'm just having the insight like that's when i started putting on the armor you know i'm like i don't want to feel like that again and one way to stop feeling like that is to not let people see how i feel about them to not let that get too big so it's interesting you bring that up and and also you know a key point i think you brought up there that i resonate really deeply with is mistaking attention for love and coming to a conclusion more attention equals more love and you can see how this might lead someone into pickup eh? you know because pickup is about becoming the master of capturing someone's attention really isn't it mm -hmm. um and also this is interesting as well a lot of the guys i work with uh they talk about the family dynamic with siblings and how comparison i mean it's it must be impossible to raise siblings without them feeling uneven you know i mean how could you not um but you you use the words less than and we can see there that kind of that seed being planted where there was a hole to fill you know that kind of illusion of a hole to fill you know and so this is a lot of stuff that not only i resonate with but all the people i work with they they talk about that it's like the same stuff happens to everyone but for some people they have like the right role models who come in and explain it to them so they aren't traumatized by it and then others who are just left to deal with it on their own and make their own conclusions and that usually goes really pear-shaped for them you know and i think that's what you and i had is both of us we had to figure out what this shit meant on our own and we got it wrong you know um a lot of the time or should i say we developed a powerful learning lesson for later um so awesome man so you went from that you, you've got this kind of hole to fill you know you're looking to um you're coming from this background of like you say industrial age advice i love that where it's you know if you just achieve everything according to the status quo you will receive you know that kind of thing and then you found the seduction community tell us a bit more about your experience in that community and what it was like you know trying to learn this stuff to, to quench the thirst i guess so back then I felt uh, I, I felt this false sense of power, you know, because because you know it's it, a few things. It's variety. I'm like, wow, I, I've never I've never known this stuff before, you know. Like I'm getting all these tools, and there's something about acquiring tools, right? It's kind of like if you're a musician, you know, you're like, oh, I have the same guitar as you know, insert popular artist. You're like, oh, now I can like I can I'm more legit because I've got the same guitar as you know like Van Halen or Slash or whatever. So back then I'm like, oh, I'm getting all of these tools. So I felt this false sense of power. And the crazy thing was, I got really caught up acquiring the tools, you know. And I filled my head with all these different types of openers, different types of transitions, different types of negs, different types of you know uh, 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 buying temperature or something. I, I forgot now. Like it's it's been such a long time ago. And the crazy part was I'd be in situations where I, you know, even, yeah, I'd feel a lot of anxiety, but I, I'm just like relying on this like tools and mechanism to just like, like executing a program, a software, right? It's like, oh, I'm in scenario B, I should execute program A, right? And the crazy part was I was so nervous of running out of things to say because I wouldn't know what to say after that. I wouldn't, I, and, and the, and the, the part that really hurt me, Dan, was when I, I take home girls 
and I'd start to like them, and they and they start to really find out who I really am, and then I get rejected. That was that rejection was even more painful than getting rejected up front, because now they they rejected the real me, mm. right? I I I was more hurt because they liked a false version of me, and when they found out who I really was, is when I even felt more or less than, because I'm like, wow, wow, you only liked that version of me, which wasn't even me, and that's when I. That's when I left. I'm like, I can't keep doing this to myself. That's um, oh man, that's so exactly like what I went through with it, which is, it confirmed like that's what kept me sort of trapped in it for so long is the stuff that I was performing that worked and being me didn't. That's how I I measured it. It took me so many years to realize that the reason that they were rejecting real me is because it was different to the guy I started as, and that put them off. It's just the change. Like, who the fuck is this guy now? <laughs> you know, he was this fucking performing clown before, and now he's just a regular dude. It's too jarring, that leap, I guess. Um, so, because, I mean, that's, you know, that's something you and I have talked about a lot, I guess. It's this performance thing. This, the, the very, how the very act of trying to make people like you actually puts up a barrier between the two of you and creates a disconnect, you know. Um, and I know a lot of the, the people who listen to the show have come from experience in the seduction community or are still involved in that kind of stuff now. Um, and for those who are listening who don't understand half the words he just used because they're not familiar with the pickup stuff, it's just techniques and tools to basically to manipulate people into liking you, put it that way. Um, so I guess I think the part that that I'm most interested in is is the next bit which is where you started as you as you explained you started exploring spirituality and vulnerability and this led you to a place where you actually became okay with yourself and the neediness for someone else to be okay with you was reduced you know imagine you know you're speaking to former you here imagine you know you want to pass on this lesson without having to take thousands of years to get through it like we did you know tell us more about it man what was that journey so what I didn't realize was the voice inside my head was not me, mm. right? Like I didn't realize how important changing the way you talk to yourself was because I was mean to myself, man. I was mean. And one of the things that I've learned was self-compassion, self-acceptance and self-love. You know, like uh, the, one of the things that kept coming up with every every personal development work that I've done, books that I've read on self-love, was this treating yourself like a five-year-old kid. You know, talking to yourself as, as if, you know, like you're the, the five-year-old version of you. And, and now that I think about it, I'm like, so scenario A, before self-love, self-acceptance, and self-compassion, the way I would talk to myself was, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you fucked that up again. Why would you even try? You're going to get rejected anyway. Right. It was it was so bad. Like and then one of the things that I, I forgot who told this to me, but it really stood out to me throughout the years. And, you know, the, uh, the person was like the person who told me said uh, was if you talk to yourself the way you would talk to other people, would you have friends? Mm. And I was like, man, I wouldn't have friends. And that's when that's like the first sign 
that I should really be mindful of how I talk to myself. And then I started going into these personal development retreats. And then, and then the other uh, example that really stuck with me and has helped me even today was if you were talking to a five-year-old version of yourself, how would you talk to that person when he makes a mistake, when he messes up, when he doesn't get it right? I'm like, I would be like, it's okay. You didn't know any better, right? Like, it's okay. You know, don't cry. And I'd give that kid a hug. I'd give him a hug, be like, it's okay. You know, like, try. we can always try again, right? Here, let's take a break. Let's take a quick break. Let's get you. Let's get you some ice cream, right? <laughs> let's get you. Let's get you some ice cream. You know, like let's let's relax for a little bit, and then we can try again. How's that? How does how does that sound? That's a, that's how I would talk to a five year old kid who made a mistake, right? And and throughout the years, I've I've learned to talk to myself that way, and that's been such a such a big change and and such a, a an enlightening experience. And that's one of the big lessons that I teach my clients, to be honest with you. Beyond, you know, obviously, like, we talk about the body language, the tonality, the style, the first impression, icebreaker, storytelling. Those things are important. But none of those things matter if you don't believe that what you have to say actually makes a difference. Yeah, I think that's – I've been trying to map out confidence as it grows in a person or as I think that as it rebuilds from – from what it was when you're a child, you know, and there's these kind of markers. Like it's very, it's very hard to measure confidence. It's not something you can see on a dial, but there's these markers, these kind of unmistakable milestones. And one of those is when you look in the mirror and you don't want to be anyone else. You know, one of those is when you're like, okay, I don't want to swap with anyone now. You you still got shit to work on, but you like this project that is you. You you want to see how it goes, and you don't want it to be anything other than what it really is the authentic version, whatever the hell that means, right? Um, so it's it's interesting, you know, to hear you kind of make that link between that milestone and just simply changing the dialogue that's happening internally. And so it sounds like one of the big realizations is simply that you do actually have some influence over that inner voice, that you get to decide what he says. I mean, this is where a lot of the guys I work with really struggle, is trying to figure out how how do I be self-accepting? How do I change that voice? You know, what helped you with that? How were you able to make that change? So one of the things that uh, I tell my guys is, you know, like write down things that you would do for your next girlfriend. And they're like, oh, I take her to the spa. I take her to the movie. I take her for a nice dinner. I buy her clothes. You know, like uh, I take her on vacation, all those things, right? Cool. That's what the, that's something you would do for a future partner. They're like, yeah. Okay, do that to yourself now, mm. right? I think so many guys, so many guys, including myself, cheap out, right, on themselves, but they would move heaven and earth. They would spend so much money on other people to show them that they care about them, but they wouldn't spend a nickel to show themselves that they like themselves. Because, you know, like, think about this, right? The only reason, you're uh, one of the things that I've learned is, you're only going to be able to receive the same love from other people as the amount of love that you give to yourself. So mm-hmm. if you find it hard to receive love from other people, it's because that feeling is so unfamiliar because you haven't given it to yourself, right? And also, you can't take someone to a place that you've never been to. So if you haven't really taken the time and explored the depths of who you are as a person, if you haven't forgiven yourself for the mistakes you've done in the past, there's no way you'd be able to take someone there. You know, like, I'll be honest with you, and, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, 
and public, you know, I've struggled with pornography for a long time, right? And that, that's something that I carried a lot of shame around. And it wasn't until I started forgiving myself, you know, having a conversation with that five-year-old version of me. That like, it's okay, you made a mistake, right? It's funny, that's when I stopped. Because mm-hmm. now, again, you know, like you, using like a fitness analogy, I wouldn't put garbage in my mouth. Why would I put garbage in my brain? Right? And, and you know, that, that act of forgiveness, that act of self-acceptance was what helped me let go of shame. And, and again, going back to what I said earlier, you're only as deep as your deepest, darkest secrets. And the more secrets you can share with people, the more, you know, like you, you shine light on those dark areas of your life is when you start to really accept who you are and that's when you start falling in love with yourself. Straight up. The more you start forgiving yourself is when you start loving yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and there's kind of the, there's two two of those key aspects. One is that what I see in people who have low self-worth, I also often see a lot of self-sacrifice, a lot of putting something else before what they want and, and feel that they need. Um, and a real common one is simply treating strangers better than you treat yourself. And quite often in a weird uh, twist, treating strangers better than you treat your loved ones. So once someone actually gets into the category of a loved one, they get the same sort of shitty treatment that you give to yourself, which makes a lot of sense, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, so that's self-sacrifice and then like treating yourself like your own best friend. Because I think yeah. that's where self-acceptance struggles. People sit there like in their heads trying to gain some sort of self-acceptance, but you have to behave in that way. You know, I often talk about behaving as if, you know, what would you do if you did love yourself? You know, how would you act if you were your own best friend? You know, and um, seeing that transition. Now, one of the things I'm really interested to hear more about there is this concept of sharing secrets, because it's like one of my favorite things on the planet. I used to live on secrets. My whole identity, everything about me was a secret. Um, and now very few things, are. you know, I struggle to keep secrets now. Um, not other people's, not other people's, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but mine, you know, as soon as I sort of notice myself, hide a piece of information, even if no one's asked for it, but it comes up and it seems relevant. If I don't express it, I feel a lot of guilt now. Whereas before yeah. I, that was just status quo, right? I can't sleep. Yeah. 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 So how are you able, I mean, it sounds like one of the workshops you mentioned was particularly critical there. The one where you had to open up in front of people. A lot of people are facing that right now. They're thinking, okay, I've heard about this honesty thing. I'm keen to give it a crack, but I'm scared shitless of it. You know, what? what's waiting for them on the other side? Tell them. Tell us a bit about your experience as you started to open up and what actually happened as a result of it. So that's so. my struggle with pornography was one of the things that I shared. Mm-hmm. When yeah. my, well, It's one of my deepest, darkest secrets. And Dan, when I said that, I felt like, okay, so let me describe the feeling. So before I was about to say that, I thought I was going to vomit. Okay. I thought I was going to like, like, like my throat was dry, you know, like I couldn't like come up with the words and I started just like crying uncontrollably because I'm like, oh my God, I am about to be seen. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm about, I'm about to say this. The first time I I, I said this, I, I was crying and I thought I was going to vomit. And when I finally said it, Every part of me, like if, if, if those words had like, 
was an object, I would want to like pull them back and put them back in, in my mouth, right? Mm-hmm. But it was too late. I've already said it. You can't unring a bell. And and immediately after that, I felt this like, woof, this like heaviness and this like sense of guilt and judgment. You know, that, that was in my head. I was like, oh my god, every girl here is thinking I'm disgusting. Every guy here is judging me, whatever. And the crazy part was, after the break, during during the break, you know how many guys came up to me. You know how many guys you know you know how many guys came up to me and said I was struggling of the same thing I didn't have the courage to say it thank you for sh- for sharing it and that's when I realized sometimes when we carry shame on, uh, around something is we feel like we we're the only ones right nobody else is struggling with this just it's just me and what I realized was the more honest I was you know the more willing I was to go first that's why, like nowadays, I have like really deep connections with my, I don't like with my friends, because I'm the first one to admit my my flaws and my struggles, and and now they feel like there's a I've created a space that it's okay for them to share as well, and now we can get rid of all this bullshit conversation about the weather, who won with hockey, the game, you know, the hockey game last night or whatever. We can we can get down to like the real conversation, mm-hmm. and to me. That's provided me me with deeper connections with friends, deeper connection with women, right? Like healthier relationships, you know, uh, lightness, right? More self-respect. Man, there's something that change. You you start to see yourself differently when you start telling the truth. You start, believe it or not, you start to really respect yourself more, right? And now I look at myself, and I've I've you know again like I've I, uh, the more I tell the truth, the more I fall in love with myself. Mm-hmm. And that's like that, and I think that's some that's a, such a feeling um, that's so worth having after the uncomfortable feeling of actually like sharing something that you're afraid to share. Well, that's important because you're saying there that it's worth the price you have to pay, and there is a price, isn't there? You know that that yep. discomfort is it's quite it feels like a high cost, but it's such a bargain in the long run, isn't it? You're paying <laughs> for self worth, really, aren't you? That's that's how much self worth. My happiness. Yeah, yeah, my everyday happiness—that's so worth it. So, because I've been—I've been for the longest time now, trying to promote the idea that that worthiness, that sense of of self-respect, comes from truthfulness. And and because I've got a basic theory that is, when I'm truthful, my brain registers that information as good enough, because it must be because I'm letting it out. You know, that's kind of like a ends justify the means or something. I don't know how you say it. And when I hold something in, the opposite happens. My brain goes, this must not be good enough, because he's holding it in. And the more you file under the not good enough category, the worse you feel about yourself. If everything's in the good enough category, you know, it's great. And so this was great because you're you're talking real, you know. That is, you, you were shitting yourself before you said it, and even after it came out, it didn't feel great immediately. There wasn't instant gratification from it. But it's later on as an awareness of yourself comes up, I always talk about like one of my big ones was erectile dysfunction. And I remember the first time I said it, you know, I thought I was going to be sick as well. You know, I actually did a stutter when it came out because my brain was like trying to hold on to the words as tightly as possible. And then I, I said the same thing again on Saturday. It must be the hundredth time I've said it. And I literally didn't feel a single emotional reaction to it. Like it's worn out now. It's, I, I can't have any shame with it now. It doesn't even feel wrong anymore. You know, so that's um, that's awesome because part of the reason for this 
you know, do these podcast interviews. I want people to see that being truthful doesn't have the disastrous consequences their brain comes up with. How about, I mean, this might be pushing your memory a bit. Can you think of an experience where you did try to open up and be vulnerable and it was met with, you know, negativity? It was met, met with rejection or harshness or something like that? There was, but now I've, I've given it a different interpretation, right? So I think a lot of guys can relate to this. Like when you open up to a girl that you like and then she says no, mm. right? The mistake there was their their expectation. So the mistake that a lot of guys commit is that, oh, I'm going to be honest, but I, I expect her to respond positively, mm. right? Instead of, instead of, you know, like, Op- making opening up as the goal. Like your goal should be like, I'm going to speak my truth. That should be your goal. Not like, I'm going to speak my truth so that she can like me. Right? So, so that's been, ha- that's happened before in, in, you know, even recently. Like, you know, I, uh, I've been spending time with this girl. Um, and I told her like, Hey, like, this is kind of where I'm at. This is kind of how I see things. And, uh, and she said like, I'm not there with you. And, and, and what the crazy part was, I had no negative feelings because I went into that conversation knowing that my only goal was to speak my truth. And whether she had said, yes, I feel the same way or no, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not in that same headspace. I would have been okay with it because the goal was not to get a reaction from her. The goal was to speak my truth. Right. Now this I love so, because this is, you know, this is like value stuff and, I like that where the the action is the goal. You know, the where, action is the goal, you know, not the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's a tough one, isn't it? Because I mean, when you get into seduction, one of the things that sort of triples, if it wasn't already bad, was attachment to outcomes. You become your whole world's about getting outcomes. You know, um, and a lot of people are really brainwashed with this. You know, even people listening now, they think, what's the point of just being truthful if it doesn't get you what you want? And they can't let go of the idea. You know. I mean, how can we sell this message? How can you get across to someone that the very act of being truthful is the reward in and of itself? Yeah. So to answer to answer your question, um, again, it's it's renegotiating your expectations because a, you're not always going to get what you want. Straight up, everyone's different, right? Everyone has different upbringing, background experiences. Everyone has their own perceptions of the world. And the people you talk to may not always share the same perspective that you have. And that's something you have to be aware of. And it's something you have to accept as reality, living in this planet as a human being, mm-hmm. right? You're not always going to get what you want. You can't control how people are going to react to you. And like, you know, uh, and, and people process things differently, right? You can't control how they process what you say. The only thing you can control is the actions that you take. So again, just by... You know, by setting the goal to always speak your truth and that being your expectation, you liberate yourself with so much pressure and so much disappointment. Because how can you be disappointed with yourself when your only goal is to take action? You can't, right? And that's, and the feeling of disappointment is what eats most people up, is what ruins their self-esteem, and it comes from having a mismanaged expectation. Absolutely, and I think people really need to hear that message. So many people think disappointment is something that's caused by an external force. But all external forces are neutral until you place an expectation on them. That's when they can disappoint you. They can't do it without the expectation. And um, 
you know, I think uh, overall, you know, what's interesting is that um, when I look at your whole journey, one of the things that we kind of share is like a same sort of transition and eventually coming to the conclusion, fuck, being truthful is where it's at. You know, that's what I've been missing. That was the one thing that wasn't there for the rest of the journey, you know. Um, what kind of core strength did you have from the beginning that allowed you to get through all these learning lessons? You know, how was it that you were, you had the stamina and the drive to get through all this stuff? I just, I just looked at uh, the, the, the first time I took a big risk was when, you know, I, I was about like 19, 20 years old. And I bought into the, you know, the, the dream, right? Go to school, get good grades, get a good job. Everything else will be successful. I bought into that. I was actually really good at it. I was, I was really good at my job, even though I hated it. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me that I'm looking at my coworkers who have been doing the same work 10, 20 years ahead of me. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, oh man, like that's, that's how I'm, that's who I'm going to end up as. I look at their car. I'm like, I don't even like their car. I look at how much money they're making. I'm like, that's it. And I look at like the kind of lives they have. I'm like, the kind of lives they have. And I'm like, that's not the life that I want to live. So for me, like playing it safe meant like boredom and death and like living such a boring and uninspiring life. And I'm like, I, that's not what I want. I, I don't want that life. So it's almost like a fear of settling that caused me to really develop this courage to really push forward, especially when moments get tough, you know, especially when moments get tough. And then the other thing was one thing that I've discovered again, you know, upon reflection was I, I somehow found good support always. Mm. I somehow always gravitated towards positive people. Somehow like the universe put, you know, like people that had what I wanted, um, you know, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a friendship, whether it's someone that I, uh, who I dated, whether it's someone who I just like exchanged a few conversations, um, you know, like while taking the bus or whatever, right? I always had little moments of encouragement from the right people. And, and yeah, I was always around good company. I think that's a critical element because I think I see a lot of people who are stuck in a plateau. It's a social plateau that they're stuck in. It's They're surrounded by either no one, they've isolated themselves, or the people they are surrounded by only reaffirm the old tired beliefs. You know, and they just they can't see beyond, you know, their own mini culture that they're in. Um, so that's awesome, man. Like, uh, for me, I identified that. So the main value I was strong in from a young age was curiosity. I wanted to see how things could work better, and that's what got me through all the different transitions. And it sounds like for you it was really that courage, that risk-taking, you know, that ability to put freedom before safety, uh, which very few people have. So that's awesome. I like seeing that kind of thing. Like you're given, I think, you know, like cards that you're dealt when you're younger. You're given one that can get you through all the shit to find where you're trying to get to if you if you pay attention to that. You know, so if you're courageous, then keep taking risks. You'll figure it out that way. If you're curious, then keep learning. You'll figure it out that way and so on. Um, so I plan to, as I go through these interviews, is try and find, you know, what are all the different core cards that somebody played. And to help people listening realize they might not be playing their one. They've got one. It will get them through everything. It will get them to the point where they can get all the others. Um, maybe they're not playing it. So, I mean, you talked about the right support. I think it's probably a good time to kind of 
both transition and, and kind of wrap things up a bit. Tell us a bit about the work you do now and how it is that you're a support person. So I think, uh, you know, before before I share that, I, mm-hmm. I just want to like tie tie everything together because I know mm-hmm. like in the mm-hmm. beginning I had talked about um, not trusting my that gut feeling, right? Right, yeah. And I think, you know, for everyone here, and, and the reason why I bring that up was, you know, like you had mentioned that everyone has that, that card, right? That trump card that they have. Mm. And, and, and I have a feeling that if they listen more to their gut instinct, that sixth sense, that's when they find that card that'll really, it's, it's like the first domino, right? That, mm. that causes that, that domino effect. It's the first mm. domino that pushes everything else. But the key, the key is to, to spend time with yourself in silence and, and listen to what your gut feeling is telling you. Cause it's that feeling in, in the pit of your stomach, you know, something's right, something's wrong. Listen to that. That's real. How, how do people tell the difference between that voice and the, the noise of fear and frustration and all the other voices that are trying to that sound sometimes like gut instinct, but are more like gut, assumptions and fears. Gut instinct can only come from a place of love. If you're if you're if you're making decisions from a place of love, and what I mean by that is, if you one thing that I ask myself is, would a better version of myself do this? <laughs> right? Mm. Would would Mike 2.0 do this or not? And the end, and that's when you find the answer. Like I'll give you, you know, like again that, that example, right? Like um, recently, I was in Toronto, and this is like after a breakup. You know, I, I went, I parted ways with someone that I cared about. You know, after the Chris the holiday season. So yeah, I was a little bit sad, and you know, we were together for a few months. So I was a little bit rusty. You know, I haven't talked to anyone for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in Toronto uh, visiting my best friend, and I saw this girl sitting at a coffee shop, right? We had exchanged glasses. She was she was sitting at, at a community table, a lot of people. And I'm like, man, I haven't done this for in a, in a long time. But then I asked myself, would a better version of Mike do something? And I'm like, he would. So I went to, you know, like uh, I grabbed a piece of napkin, wrote down my phone number. And I said, like, look, I, 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 um, I don't know why, but I just uh, felt really compelled to give this to you. So I folded that piece of napkin and gave it to that girl. And I'm like, have a good day, right? And my knees were shaking. I was so nervous because I'm like, I haven't done this in a while. And then when I left, when I left the cafe with my best friend, I told him what happened, and he's like, oh, you just did that? I'm like, yeah. And and because because in my head, I'm like, you know what? If I if I had just like seen that girl and left and didn't do anything, then nothing would have happened. But now, at least I gave it a 50-50 shot. She now has the opportunity to text me back because I I gave her my phone number. But had I not done that. Then it wouldn't have happened. And guess what? Three hours after, I got a text. Hey, it's the girl from Starbucks. And I was like, nice. And <laughs> we went on a date and had a fun time together. And all because I asked myself that question. Whenever you're in a pickle, whenever you're on a date, you're, you're, you want to meet someone, you want to quit your job, whatever the case may be, you want to travel, right? Ask yourself, would the better version of yourself, of myself, would I... What I what decision would I make, right? Mm. And and that's the answer. I love that, man. I'm I'm so gonna be passing that one around. You know, the one I used for myself was always, "What would a confident guy do right now?" 
you know, and that, it was the same question, it's the same thing, it's what would the guy I want to be do, you know, and so, and sometimes it'll, it confirms a behavior, you're like, yeah, this is what he would do, I'm on track, and other times it's like, come on, step up, you know what you really, and that's gut, isn't it, your gut just goes, that's look, gut feeling. who are you yep. lying to, we know what you need to be doing here, go for it, um, I love that, man, I really love that, uh, and yeah, and I appreciate you kind of like sharing that whole timeline with us as well. Um, cause I don't know, you, most people will just be listening to this, they won't be able to see you. But anyone who's met you will get an instant, uh, assumption of, oh, here's a guy who's naturally confident, you know. And that's one I, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is cause I want people to see that that doesn't, for most people, that's not true. You know, for most people, there's this fucking, you know, agonizing journey. Of constant failure, constant misunderstanding, constant feeling of loss and disconnection before that happens, uh, and a willingness to go through what it takes to, you know, to find the answers at the end there. Um, Don't be deceived by the leather jacket and the slick <laughs> hair. Don't be deceived. Yeah. There's always a story behind it. Yeah. Um, so you, yeah, man, and, and so yeah, tell us a bit about your coaching and, and what you're doing with your business at the moment. Yeah, so I mean, the um, one of the one of my favorite saying uh, sayings came from my best friend's dad, who was a self-made millionaire, mm. and he said that Mike, the truth is always in the middle, but before you can find the middle, you got to find both ends, mm. right? And I feel like throughout my journey, as I've kind of shared uh, during our conversation, I feel like I've gone through both ends of the spectrum. You know, I've been the shy guy who ate his lunch in a bathroom stall, and I've been the you know the 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 try-hard wannabe, you know pickup guy trying to be someone he, that, that he's not and I've gone through the spiritual route and, and all together I feel like I've, I've found a good balance mm. with really how to improve someone's social confidence and it's, it's a combination of both you know like I think a lot of people demonize you know like the whole seduction community and pickup industry I think one of the things that I took away from 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 them was uh, preparation so a lot of guys would memorize these lines and routines and I teach my guys to so like Create your own lines and routines, but it has to be your own lines and routines, right? You know, so I've, I feel like throughout my coaching program, I've taken what's good about every aspect of, of programs out there. And that's what I call now the social confidence blueprint, which is mm. a 12 week coaching program where I walk guys through the five components to help them become more socially confident. So number one is mindset. Number two is charisma. Number, number three is courage. Number four is uh, conversation. Number five is lifestyle design. So getting your head straight, presenting yourself well, act, um, act, uh, going for what you want, knowing what to say, and then designing a life that you love. I feel like all those five things combined together in the right sequence can really take a guy from shy to social as quickly as possible. Yeah, tell you what, man, if I was still back in my shy days, I'd be giving you a call. That sounds pretty <laughs> pretty on to it. And, yeah, and, I, and I can vouch for you in, in terms of not only as someone who's obviously figured out how to create natural social connection, but you are somebody who's got that, that, that ability to pick the best out of different influences and put them together. Uh, I think the word synergy, um, it's a, it's a gift I always admire and, and one I try to live by myself. And I think, uh, yeah, anybody should get in touch with you if they, yeah, especially shy guys, right? Anybody who classifies themselves as shy, understanding that's not a set concrete psychology it's actually something that can be influenced and changed to bring out what's really true about you and i think you've got the tools to help them do that 
Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you a bit more about that? Yeah, just go to my website, socialconfidencemastery.com. Uh, I've got a free report as well, uh, which kind of outlines the five things that I talk about. So yeah, if that interests you and, and you feel like you're someone who can, you know, really use that help, go to socialconfidencemastery.com, download the cheat sheet and, uh, let's connect. And, and also check out Dan Monroe's, uh, interview about, how to stop people pleasing. It's arguably one of the most downloaded episodes on my show and my podcast. So definitely give that uh, a check out as well. <laughs> nice. I love that. Um, awesome, man. Look, I really appreciate having your time here and I'm, and I know what it takes to get to the point where you can share that kind of personal shit on such a public forum. There are a lot of people, if nothing else listening to you will be going, holy shit, I can't believe you're saying that on a podcast, you know? Um, so I really appreciate whatever's taken for you to get to here and be able to share that. Um, what are your final thoughts, man? What do you want people to remember the most about this? I say, I would say, uh, treat yourself like someone important to you because in a lot of ways you are, you know, the, the relationship you have with yourself dictates the kind of relationship you have with other people. So if you want to attract high quality, highly motivated, successful individuals, then that's something that, uh, you need to become because you, you attract who you are. You don't attract what you want. Couldn't agree more, man. When I was really insecure, I attracted really insecure people. Man, it was really basic, really easy to see. That's true. Awesome, Mike. Thanks again for your time, mate. And I have no doubt we'll be talking again soon in the future. Dan, man, first of all, um, congratulations on the launch of the show. And uh, you're, I've been on a lot of podcasts and you ask amazing questions. You know, you actually ask questions that I've, that I've, you made me say things that I've never shared on any podcast because <laughs> you were such a good host. And uh, I really appreciate that about you. So thank you. I, I really appreciate this conversation. Well, it looks like we're in a state of mutual gratitude then, man. And uh, <laughs> it's a good time to okay, wrap man. it up. All right. Totally. Cheers. Take care.